Thanks for watching Entity Business. Coming up. All members of the G20 have unanimously supported a global vaccine passport system. We talked to some prominent doctors about whether they think it's a good idea. The new CEO of bankrupt crypto firm FTX criticizing his predecessor, saying he's never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls. And left-leaning groups like BLM Global Network Foundation are warning advertisers about doing business with Musk's Twitter. Why would that be? We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. The new CEO of bankrupt crypto firm FTX isn't mincing his word on what a mess the exchange is. John Ray III also oversaw the infamous Enron bankruptcy, a major accounting fraud. But he says the situation at FTX is way worse. In fact, it's the worst he's ever seen. Calling it a complete failure of corporate control, many of the companies in the FTX group have never even held a board meeting. Lucky them. Ray criticized operations under its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, calling, calling out a lack of security controls, business funds being used to buy employees' homes in the Bahamas, lucky them again, and some other pretty serious issues. Ray took over last week when the company filed for bankruptcy and Bankman-Fried resigned. He says a substantial portion of assets may now be, quote, missing or stolen. He warned the court not to trust the audited financial statements that were completed under Bankman-Fried. Right now, the firm is trying to figure out accurate numbers for cash and crypto assets, while its users are left in the cold, really. Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, Temasek, has become the latest known victim of the collapse. In a statement today, the company said it would write down its entire investment in FTX worth a massive $275 million in total. Other backers that gave FTX huge amounts of money, they've also marked down their investment to zero, including SoftBank and Sequoia. And don't think it's just big investment firms. Canada's third largest pension fund is also involved. The Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. It had about $100 million in FTX. Did say that those investments, though, represent less than 0.05% of his total net assets. Now it represents 0.0. And leaders of the G20 are unanimously supporting a global vaccine passport system. G20, of course, a group of 20 major economies, including the US, the EU, and China. The 20 members agreed to it after finishing their summit in Indonesia. Here's Indonesia's Minister of Health. Let's have a digital health certificate acknowledged by WHO if you have been vaccinated or tested properly, then you can move around. So for the next pandemic, instead of stopping the movement of the people 100%, which clogged the economy globally, you know, you can still provide some movement of the people. So give people freedom by taking away their freedom. Got it. Not everyone's excited about the idea. COVID vaccines, for example, were rushed through and mandated for much of the world, even though we didn't know what the long-term impacts of the vaccines would be. Dr. Peter McCulloch, author of The Courage to Face COVID-19 and other doctors, don't actually believe the vaccines are completely safe. 
We do not have any assurances on long-term safety of COVID-19 vaccination. And for those reasons, we would never want to encourage vaccination, particularly if we uncover long-term effects of the vaccines. The short-term effects of the vaccines are not favorable. Uh, myocarditis, which is in the peer-reviewed literature, fatal. Blood clots that are fatal. Neurologic damage that leaves people permanently disabled. None of these described fully published and peer-reviewed complications of COVID-19 vaccines are acceptable. And indeed, Pfizer and Moderna are reportedly launching studies into the long-term effects of their vaccines and perhaps connection to heart problems. But aside from the vaccines, McCulloch says these authoritative agencies frequently make mistakes like we all do, but that they aren't even consistent between themselves. The health agencies, unfortunately, are not consensus-driven. Uh, they're not contemporary, and they simply haven't provided uh, the type of guidance that the public has needed, all the way from issues of contagion control, early and late treatment, and vaccination. So the, the trust in public health at this point in time uh, is at an all-time low. We wouldn't look to these agencies for any type of guidance on the next clinical issue that comes up. For example, Dr. Anthony Fauci, a top U.S. health official, he's been criticized for flip-flopping on advice, for example, on wearing masks. Officials for months said not to wear masks, but in April reversed the guidance. When the pandemic began, the WHO publicly tweeted that there was no clear evidence that COVID could spread between people. That obviously wasn't accurate. Dr. Robert Malone, author of Lies My Government Told Me and a leading contributor to mRNA vaccine technology, suggests this could perhaps be part of a larger plan. We've all been warned for quite a while now about the potential risks of uh, deployment of a global vaccine digital passport system, which is kind of like a entry point in, into deploying a a digital ID system that would then potentially be linked to uh, both social credit scores and to uh, a central bank digital currency system that will enable um, pretty much complete control over uh, individuals' behaviors, actions, access to their bank accounts. Malone told us he believes these large forces are incrementally taking away people's freedoms. He says one of the forces is the World Economic Forum. It's an international organization of very powerful people and companies. Members include President Joe Biden, the UK Prime Minister, and even the European Commission President. The WEF says it wants the world to change in a way that prioritizes equity and fighting climate change. But many say just trying to impose socialism globally. And moving on, a number of left-leaning organizations are criticizing Elon Musk's vision for Twitter. In a letter, organizations like Black Lives Matter, Global Network Foundation, NARAL Pro-Choice America, and over two dozen others laid out bluntly what they don't like about Musk's idea of free speech. Here's a quote from the letter. Musk intends to provide a megaphone to extremists who traffic in disinformation, hate, and harassment under the guise of free speech. We asked a lawyer to help us dissect what this quote means. Here's Jesse Benal with the Benal Law Group. What freedom of speech should always look like is that everyone is free 
to voice their own opinions. These left-wing groups, they want to say, well, uh, do you, for instance, do you agree with me on issues like abortion? Or do you agree with me on issues like COVID vaccine mandates? And if you do agree with me on, on uh, those things, then you should be free to have your opinion broadcast on Twitter. If you think that vaccine mandates are wrong, then you should be silenced. And that's not freedom of speech at all. They're talking about that they want freedom of speech for the people that they agree with. And among other demands, the letter urges advertisers to pull money from Twitter, money badly needed by Twitter. That's the public figures and politicians that were previously banned aren't kept off the platform. Here's looking at you, Donald Trump. Don't come back. This warning advertisers they'll be lumped in with a platform that's amplifying hate, extremism, health misinformation, and conspiracy theories. Why are these groups raising concerns with advertisers now over the years? Twitter has been plagued with fake accounts, bots, and fake news. In fact, the platform hosts Chinese Communist Party propaganda. So where were all the warnings from the left-leaning groups before this? Why are they doing it now? They're doing it now because Elon Musk is finally trying to make Twitter more of a politically neutral platform. You know, it's it's hardly a, a, a conservative platform by any stretch of the imagination, but he's trying to, to make it so the decisions that they're making on content moderation um, are uh, based on objective criteria, not based on political criteria. The letter admits that Twitter has an outsized influence in shaping both public discourse and industry-wide performance gov- platform government standards. If Twitter does indeed have a big influence in shaping public opinion and industry policies, then naturally a left-leaning Twitter will benefit groups like Gender Equity Policy Institute and the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, groups that signed the letter to Twitter advertisers. They want a woke echo chamber. They want to only emphasize uh, the the speech that they agree with, and they want to silence those that disagree with them. And uh, what's really concerning is that these are the tactics that people used 50, 60, 70 years ago in resisting the civil rights movement when they would try to bully organizations and businesses that would try to, for instance, integrate or that would support civil rights. But if Twitter does become more right-leaning or neutral, then naturally it doesn't bode well for these same groups. Let's take a look at some differences on Twitter before and after Musk's takeover. Before Musk, Twitter helped censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. That story would have been very damaging to President Biden in the run-up to the 2020 election. After Musk, Twitter fact-checked President Biden's posts multiple times. Never would have happened before. Before Musk, Twitter banned former President Trump. Now it's possible that Trump's account could be reinstated. Musk has said that Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. That means content of the platform could become less left-leaning and more centrist. That's what Musk wants. That's what he says, at least. He's also said that accuracy information will be judged by the people of Twitter via community notes, a.k.a. Birdwatch. This could mean that left-leaning groups' posts could be challenged by the Twitter community. These left-wing groups are absolutely terrified that they're going to have to compete 
with other ideas in the free marketplace of ideas. They want the American people and people across the world to only hear their point of view. And so if things were to continue on the road that they were, then only left-wing ideas would, would be broadcast on, uh, on platforms like Twitter. And the letter's warning to advertisers is revealed as many advertisers have already left Twitter. Think General Motors and Pfizer. Ad earnings are crucial to Twitter, contributes 90% of the company's revenue. But according to Forbes, if Elon Musk wants to move Twitter off of ad revenue entirely, he would need over 64 million subscribers at $8 a month to make that happen. But if Twitter can keep ad revenue basically where it has been, it would need close to 24 million subscribers. Still a lot. Let's see where it goes. We'll keep you up to date. And San Francisco is launching a guaranteed income pilot program for its transgender community. The mayor announced it yesterday. It said that 55 transgender residents will get up to $1,200 a month for up to a year and a half. They can spend it on whatever they want. Applicants have to make less than $600 a month live in the city and be willing to fill out a survey every three months. The 2015 survey found that a larger percentage of transgender Californians live in poverty compared to the general population. This is San Francisco's third guaranteed income project so far. It's unclear whether these programs work. Axios reported that a similar program in Finland was viewed as a failure. That's because so many people were still unemployed when it ended. The deadline to apply is December 15th. It starts in January. Down on Wall Street, main indexes ended a bit lower today. The Dow fell 8 points, S&P dropped 12 points, 3 tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq lost 39 points, 4 tenths of a percent. At the end of an era, perhaps, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has announced her decision whether or not she will run for House leadership in 2023. Take a listen. For everything, there is a season. With great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. There you go. The California Democrats' decision to step down ends two decades of leadership. Pelosi said she will continue as a member of the House, serving her district in California. Republicans, of course, flipped the House this week and will secure control once the new Congress takes their seats in January 2023. Pelosi has not endorsed a successor. And today is Starbucks Red Cup Day, traditionally the busiest day of the year for Starbucks. It's when Starbucks gives out free red cups to customers purchasing holiday drinks. But this year, employees at more than 100 Starbucks stores are holding a Red Cup Rebellion. Let's take a look. Red Cup Day turns into Red Cup Rebellion. Workers at more than 100 Starbucks stores nationwide held a strike to protest against Starbucks' refusal to bargain with union workers. So we are now trying to remind them nationwide, 110 stores across the nation, that we mean business and we are here to negotiate and we want a fair contract. Barista Shepard Searle in a Chicago Starbucks location says the workers want fair wages and better benefits in staffing. Barista Emily Alimo says her wage isn't enough for her to make a living. I make $16.61 an hour, um, which is not enough to pay bills. I barely scrape by every month. 
The union is demanding that Starbucks increase the barista wage to $24 an hour and $31 an hour for shift supervisors from under $20 an hour today. The workers say they're also unhappy with the staffing situation. We're also not working at a skeleton crew every day and being expected to just pick up the slack of Starbucks not wanting to properly staff us. Starbucks, which opposes the unionization effort, said it's aware of the walkouts and respects its employees' right to lawfully protest. The Seattle company noted that the protests are happening at a small number of its 9,000 company-run U.S. locations. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Over 250 Starbucks stores have voted to unionize since late last year. This is according to the National Labor Relations Board. While 57 stores have held votes where workers opted not to unionize. And in other news, Roku is the latest tech firm to announce mass layoffs. Today, the video streaming player company announced plans to cut some 200 jobs here in the States. In an SEC filing, it said it would cut its headcount by about 5%. It's trying to ease its costs for next year, citing current economic conditions as the main driving force. Recession alert. And video gaming company Activision Blizzard is ending online game services in China starting in January. Popular games such as World of Warcraft, Overwatch, and Diablo 3 will no longer be available to gamers in China. Why is that? And today, Sean Marshall has the details. Blizzard Entertainment and NetEase brought shock and despair to thousands of gamers on Thursday. Hits such as World of Warcraft will not be available in China starting next year when their 14-year partnership ends. Control over user data has been an ongoing problem between China and the U.S. Bob Bilbrook explained how the recent Chinese algorithm law could play a part in the gaming industry. Last March, China um, passed a law that involved algorithms um, for companies um, that do business in China, which said that if a if a um, tech company does business in China, they have to hand over their algorithms and some parts of their source code to the Chinese government so that they can integrate that within their tracking systems and the things that they do in China to make sure that you know kids aren't playing games too long and other things like that. I spoke with gaming streamer Jennifer Tan, also known as Mrs. Fit 87, for a gamer's perspective. Well, the contract termination between Activision and NetEase is devastating to their users who are loyal Blizzard gamers. I don't see this being a long-term effect, and I think that Activision is going to be able to resolve this with another company pretty quickly, considering 3% of their revenue came from China last year. The thing is, when you're going to a country that regulates their information differently, you're going to have to respect that. And if you can't, then you need to find a middle ground. And unfortunately, Activision and NetEase could not. NetEase said the recently published Diablo Immortal, co-developed by NetEase and Blizzard, is covered by a separate long-term agreement, allowing its services to continue in China. NetEase shares closed 9% lower in Hong Kong after Blizzard said it was unable to reach a deal with the company. In a recent research report on November 9th, Daiwa Capital Markets estimated that the absence of Blizzard games could lower NetEase's revenue by 6 to 8% next year. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And what a difference a month makes. UK Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt announced a string of tax hikes today, as well as measures to tighten government spending. 
He says it's necessary to restore faith in policymaking and public finances after the short-lived premiership of Liz Truss. But, Mr Speaker, credibility cannot be taken for granted. And yesterday's inflation figures show we must continue a relentless fight to bring it down, including a rock-solid commitment to rebuild our public finances. The UK is freezing income tax allowances. That means more people will pay the basic rate. Hunt also lowered the threshold for paying the top rate and increased windfall tax in oil and gas firms well into the end of the decade. Hunt said Britain is already in a recession and government departments will have to find ways to save money. The Ukraine agricultural export deal is being extended for about another four months. The deal aims to ease global food shortages, with the UN Secretary General welcoming the news today. I was deeply moved to know that uh, in Istanbul, uh, Turkey, uh, Ukraine, Russia and the UN had come to an agreement for the rollover of the uh, Black Sea Grain Initiative, allowing for the free exports of uh, uh, Ukrainian grain. That July agreement created a protected sea transit corridor from Ukraine's southern Black Sea ports. The deal now allows exports to resume from three ports in Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, is a major producer of grains and oil seeds. A number of developing countries around the world depend on its exports, and since July, some 12 million tons of agricultural products have been shipped under the grain deal. We'll take a quick break, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. We look at the least reliable vehicles, according to Consumer Reports Survey. Can you guess which types have the most problems? And higher-end iPhone 14 models in short supply ahead of the holidays. If you haven't ordered one yet, you might be out of luck for Christmas. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. If a higher-end iPhone 14 is on your Christmas list, maybe harder than usual to find one before the holidays. Also, if you haven't already ordered an iPhone 14 Pro or Pro Max, you may be flat out of luck. According to Apple's website, the iPhone 14 Pro and 14 Pro Max are showing up as unavailable for pickup in most locations. UBS, which tracked iPhone availability in 30 countries, found the shipping time in the United States is 34 days. Many cities now show delivery dates of December 28th or later. Not great for Christmas. Apple said they do sometimes ship products ahead of the stated delivery date, but there's no guarantee. The wait times come as Apple confronts supply chain constraints and increased COVID-19 restrictions at its main assembly facility in China. However, the iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Max show availability on Apple.com in many locations for same-day pickup. 
Electric vehicles were among the least reliable vehicles in the United States, it's according to a survey from Consumer Reports. EVs and full-size pickup trucks were the two most problematic categories in Consumer Reports magazine's annual reliability survey. Predicts which vehicles will give owners fewer or more problems than competitors. EV owners reported charging and battery problems as well as electric drive motor issues. Hybrid vehicles and mid-sized sedans were among the most reliable. Top-ranked brands in the survey were Toyota and Lexus. Seven of the ten best-scoring brands were from Japan and South Korea. Mercedes-Benz slipped five slots to rank the least reliable among all brands. That's the latest from the Entity Business Team. And myself, Paul Graney. Follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. If you have any news tips, feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.